Oh, there are Alex. There are other people with us today. I've gotten so used to just you that I don't. I don't know how I feel about this. It's it's frankly making me extremely uncomfortable to have all these other prying eyes watching us while we do the show. Because Lord knows nobody actually watches this thing when we're doing it live, no. and now there are all these people here all the time, and it's freaking no, me out. No expectations man. with people that know what they're doing. Uh, I know, making making me nervous. No, but we are we are happy to welcome uh, Mr. Uh, Jeff Gerstman. What are you people doing? <laughs> You finally decided to see what was happening this early in the morning on the other yeah. parts of the site. Yeah, I didn't. You know, I didn't go to sleep last night, and then there was all the stuff on the internet about like, oh, we're doing this live show, and I'm like, what? Wait a minute, the hell are you? So I figured I'd probably check this out. I found a pair of headphones. I rolled out of bed, put this shirt on, and we'll see how this goes. I guess. Yeah, well, the- pirate radio, Jeff. Pirate radio is what we have turned giant bomb into when you sleep. All right. Well. I guess I can support that. This is the only way to actually vet the content. Are you drinking a Rockstar at at 7.30 in the morning? It's 7.38 in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) Two things. One, I don't drink coffee. Two, this is... A bre- this is breakfast. R- this uh, it has ten calories. It's breakfast energy drink. It, it, is what you're drinking it's, right it's, now. It's hydration focused. It is not carbonated. It's not like a soda plus a bunch of other junk. It's like a soda minus a bunch of other junk. You've you've spent a lot of time formulating this justification, haven't you? For just such an occasion. Look, man, I need something to keep me going. All right. This is all I have. <laughs> All right, all right. All right, and then uh, also joining us uh, is uh, Matt Gilgenbach, who is the designer of Retrograde and, and the upcoming NeverEnding Nightmares, which uh, he is currently trying to raise money for on Kickstarter. And I think, Matt, you're in your, your last six days, aren't you? Yes, yeah, we're ending uh, 7 um, p.m. Pacific, I think, on Sunday, uh, this coming Sunday. So it's definitely an exciting and, and nerve-wracking time. So can you like for people that aren't aren't aware of the game? We know we had a short interview from Pax East. Like, can you kind of give sort of the sort of the elevator pitch of what what you're trying to make? Sure. So Never Any Nightmares is a psychological horror game, but I'm actually drawing on my own experiences battling mental illness. So I suffer from obsessive compulsive disorder and depression, and so I'm channeling my experiences dealing with those illnesses into creating this sort of terrifying atmosphere. The art style for the game is also really unique. It's inspired by uh, Edward Gorey, and so it sort of has this pen uh, sketch look with all these little lines, and I think it works really well because we're doing a lot of things with light and dark, um, and and, uh, we have sort of an interesting lighting model. So, um, So you're in the last six days... So I, I know when I've talked to other sort of people that work on Kickstarter projects that they sort of underestimate how much time it is going to be to run one of these and how much pressure there is. Like, does it does it feel like another job in addition to actually, you know, working on the game sometimes? Well, yeah, I mean, to be perfectly frank, I don't think I've really worked on the game for the duration of the Kickstarter campaign. So everyone says it's basically a full-time job to run a Kickstarter campaign, and and I would agree. It's just been that much work, you know, updating the backers, responding to comments, trying to get press, uh, sending out emails, and all those little things really do add up to to taking basically a whole, you know, a a person's full-time job. Have you, have you actually enjoyed the experience, though, or is it is it one of those stressful things that, you know, if you make it through this, you, you will never do again? No, I, well, I mean, to some extent, right, you're doing it for the payoff and, and not the payoff just in terms of the money, but in terms of the community you're building, because I think that in and of itself is, is really valuable. And certainly one of the great things about, you know, Giant Bomb is you guys have a really passionate, really dedicated community. And so through Kickstarter, you know, I hope to achieve something like that for NeverEnding Nightmares. And so connecting with people, responding to their comments, and uh, that type of thing uh, does take up a lot of time. But I think it's, it's going to be valuable because we're, we're building this community. And so 
I, I enjoy building the community and, and I think if we, you know, get the game funded and we're going to, I'm going to have to continue to devote a lot of time to the community, even though we're, we're not on Kickstarter. But yeah, I'd say I, I enjoy it and it's, it's really helpful to, to get other people's opinions, to run ideas off of them. And also, you know, people say really nice things and it's been really refreshing to hear from other people people share their nightmares with me which you know sometimes really personal and stuff and it's really cool because it's like this is great material and then also I've been able to connect with people who also suffer from mental illness and so I think that's really been beneficial and moving to to speak to other people who've had similar experiences so you, you've got a you've got a bunch of games back of you yeah do you are you are you are you a big collector yourself well i was uh it's been a bit difficult uh just because uh once i went indie i had a lot less uh disposable resources but uh yeah i, I did a lot of game collecting um when, when i uh had a a paying job i guess <laughs> what do you do you have anything that you're especially proud of in that lineup behind you yes i have two copies of panzer dragoon saga for sega saturn of which there were like five thousand mm. produced and uh it's my favorite game ever so that's, did that's you, my did prize you, accomplishment did you did you acquire both of those like how did you acquire either of those games well so the first one i bought off like half.com and then the second one actually well one of the advantages of having a large collection is uh, it's a good place for your friends' games to end up. So uh, a lot of people just give me their games because it's like, you know, maybe I want to grab them at some point, but I don't want to carry them with me, you know, wherever I'm moving or whatever. So I've actually absorbed several people's collections. And so I actually got the, the second one from someone else. Jeff, have you, have you absorbed a collection before? Uh, yeah, yeah, kind of. <laughs> uh, here, here and there, definitely. That, that definitely does happen. You get to a point where, like, you have so much of this stuff already that people are just like, "Oh, well, clearly you have a place to put all this stuff," and you know, here you can you can hang on to these, and and I don't need this stuff anymore. Yeah, so I, I've I've ended up with, you know, four Atari twenty six hundreds or you know something like that that way too. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's troubling because it kind of just starts to grow exponentially at some point. Well, and I imagine that you also like start to get a reputation. So then, when people want to get rid of stuff, they're like, "Well, well, rather than throwing it out, which feels like such a horrible thing to do, well, I'll just give it to Jeff. He knows what to do with it, which is put it in a box somewhere." Right. Exactly. Put it in a box somewhere. Then, or, or then you know, when it's like current stuff, that gets really crazy because it's just like. I get a lot of this stuff already. Like, I don't need more copies of Modern Warfare 3, you know? But you end up with them somehow and, and all that. So, yeah, it's it's rare that people come through and be like, here, take all these rad Saturn games or take, a, you know, all the, I've got all these sealed N64 games that I just don't want. It's usually, yeah, it's, it's here are the most common. Like, here's Madden 03. Like, great. Excellent. <laughs> this is how you get mistakenly identified as a hoarder. Is people just dumping shit on you, and then somehow that becomes your problem, your fault. Yeah, I've been thinking actually about uh, starting to maybe trim some of this stuff because it's, uh, well, whatever. I, I don't really have to. I, I mean, I'm, I'm lucky enough right now to have the room for it. I actually have the, that those exact shelves, like that. I'm looking at that shelving <laughs> unit, and so I'm like, yeah, yeah, you can totally move those things around. It's perfect for different sized game boxes and all this other stuff. And uh, But one of them is half full of DVDs, so... Like project number one is get rid of all these stupid movies so that I have more room to display the games that I actually care about. Um, yeah, there are maybe seven movies on the planet that you would actually want to own. Yeah, two of them are Beverly Hills Cop movies. So you know, yeah, get get rid of the rest of that shit. You're fine. Yeah, exactly. So that that's you know that that's a process though because at some point I decided that I you know at some point owning DVDs was the only way to own movies. So. I ended up with 400 of them or something like that, and, and now that's just stupid. Matt, did you have uh, some sort of like particular game that kicked off like your quest to start collecting stuff, or was it just something that sort of 
Like, I, I, don't, I usually get the impression that people that collect stuff, it kind of just starts happening accidentally, and then they just start, you know, amassing more and more of it. Or was there, like, sort of something that you were going after uh, originally? No, it's just sort of the feeling that, like, oh, you know, growing up I had an NES, and then I had a Super Nintendo, and then it was like, oh, I miss such cool games on, you know, Sega Genesis. Maybe I should get a Sega Genesis. And then it's like, oh, I remember someone had the Sega CD attachment and there was a Jurassic Park game. I wonder what that's like. And then you get the 32X and then you get the Saturn and the Atari Jaguar and the Turbo Graphics, and then it just keeps coming. I mean, there's so many. The Turbo Graphics is the moment when you know you have yeah. a problem. Well, not only do I have the Turbo Graphics, but I have the Japanese Turbo Duo, uh, which oh, hell. has the, the CD uh, as well. Matt, do you find that you end up playing a lot of this stuff? Because this is part of the reason that I don't collect anything. I just I just don't. I usually throw away all my stuff. I find when I move, it's really satisfying because I just get rid of it uh, or give it to people who will appreciate it better. Because I just don't. I just find I don't. I don't play any of it. Or do you? Do you actually find yourself setting aside time to do that? No. Well, I mean, I honestly, I spend much more time developing games than playing games. Uh, so. While I would love to play it, I mean, there's so many games there that I'm like, oh, man, I really want to revisit that one or, or play that one. It just, you know, at this point, I have such a large volume of game uh, that greatly sort of outstrips my, my free time. So I unfortunately don't get to play um, all the games that, that I have or all the games that I want to. But I do have the plans in the back of my mind, like, oh, check <laughs> this out again. I feel like this, this is how people that collect, collect their stuff rationalize all of this. It's like, oh no, don't worry. When I retire, I'm gonna I'm gonna sit down and play all these games. I'm gonna write a book. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, certainly I am willing to admit that to some extent, you know, it's about the the fun of collecting. Uh, you know, just like some people collect baseball cards or whatever, I collect video games. I mean, the the collection part is is uh is enjoyable as well um but yes i i do in the back of my mind want to play them uh <laughs> and and i it's all good dude i i used to collect wrestling masks there's really no shame <laughs> at this point you know in, in, in collecting shit like video games because i have a bunch of dumb wrestling masks yeah, so what i do still you mean have in a box to? somewhere what do you mean well i have to? a few I have a few that are still uh, up on display but i i i stopped collecting at a certain point when i realized i had run out of like styrofoam mannequin heads in which to display them with <laughs> and i was not going to go to some sort of you know uh, uh fabric store trying to find mannequin heads to put masks on that was not going to happen how'd you get the first batch of styrofoam mannequin heads <laughs> that i don't really want to get into to be honest with you there were some deals some things happened i don't really know it's it's not it's not really for public consumption you know at least with games you have you know there's like a finite number there are are you know, you can kind of take different subsets of them and go like, well, it'd be cool if I had all of these games or it'd be cool if I had all these games I remember from when I was a kid or something like that. Like wrestling masks just seems like on some level there's an infinite number of there's no number on them. Like, OK, I have all 200 like I'm done. I can get 200 mannequin heads and finally be done with this and finally be free and clear of it. Uh, it just seems like that would that would get you forever. Yeah, once you start getting into like color variants and shit, you're you're doomed. Yeah, you're down yeah. a rabbit hole you cannot climb out of. That is what that is when I cut myself off. I was like, nope, no more of that, no more. Uh, so so Matt, you know, before before we let you go, like you're in the last six days, so you know, so what is sort of the? Do you have an actual like game plan, or are you just sort of like winging it day to day based on based on how things go? Well. Yeah, I, I would say probably I'm I'm uh, closer to winging it. I certainly have, you know, things I need to do. I, I'm trying to do a lot of updates to really uh, foster that sense of community and, and almost have people rally behind the game because uh, we still have a ways to go. We're at about uh, 52K out of 99K, so... It seems like a lot. I don't know. Some people who know more about Kickstarter than I assure uh, assure me that that it is possible. So certainly, you know, any watchers out there who are interested in horror games, I ask you to, to check out our Kickstarter for NeverEnding Nightmares. And so, yeah, I'm going to keep pushing the press, keep uh, promoting it on social networks, and, and uh, hope for the best, I guess. 
I mean, it seems like that's that's also one of the, the things I hear pretty commonly from folks is that there aren't a whole lot of hard lessons on project to project. So, you know, something that works well for, for one group uh, doesn't necessarily translate to someone else. There's not like a checkbox of, well, if you do this, then, then you'll be just fine and, and you'll be able to make your game. I think, yeah, I, I think in general with Kickstarter, people don't really, it's, it's not a science. It's so new. It's like the Wild West. People are figuring out new and interesting ways to, uh, to promote their projects on Kickstarter. Certainly, if you have a big name or you're making a game that's similar to some much-loved game, then, you know, that's probably going to be pretty successful. But, like, then there's sort of games that seem to come out of nowhere, like uh, Hyper Light Drifter or something. I don't know if anyone saw that coming. They asked for, what, 27,000, and they're, I don't know, tracking to close to a million or something like that. I, I don't know. They're just... I mean, the game looks great, but it's like, wow, people are really, really digging that. And so, Yeah, I don't know if that's like a culmination. It's from the designer of Samurai Gun, which has gotten a, a lot of buzz. Oh, yeah, coming, yeah, yeah. Coming out of, that out of game packs. Looks it's amazing. Yeah, but yeah, there's something about it that, you know, it can't just be that, but then maybe it's, you know, combined with the look and some of the, you know, disaster piece of uh, Fez fame is, is doing the soundtrack. So, yeah, it's it's really hard to, to tell, but, uh, well... We wish you luck, and if people are interested in checking out more, uh, they can do that on Kickstarter. And then, uh, you know, uh, Matt, we, you and I have talked about maybe doing some more stuff in October, uh, given how much uh, of a big horror guy you are. So uh, we will definitely be in touch and, uh, and see more of you in the, in the near future. Cool. Well, that sounds really great, and thank you so much for having me. Cool. Thanks for joining us, Matt. Whoa. Look at that. Happens automatically. It's like magic. Magic. This uh, Google stuff, man. It's are you, it's crazy, I, I, crazy I've been also been enjoying, like, so you have to learn pretty early on when you start using this, and I've seen this happen with you, Jeff, a couple of times, where, like, if you have stuff on your desk that rattles, like, it will alert. Yeah. <laughs> and also, it is smart enough that apparently... I don't like that. I don't like that. If you, if you type on your keyboard, it'll mute your mic. Oh. Well, Which see, like weird. automatically, I'm screwing that up because I'm typing on a different keyboard on a different computer. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. Um. So how how was how was your your weekend, both of you? What, what went on? Jeff, why don't you kick it off? Um, not a whole lot, really. It's uh, you know, it's it's kind of we're in that post GTA kind of pre game rush so i you know i don't really have anything uh too heavy that i'm working on right now um so yeah you know it's uh, just been kind of hanging out i accidentally acquired a like a, a friend's uh 5.1 home theater setup that he no longer needs mm. and i know and i don't really need so <laughs> just finding a place for it yeah yeah um Got uh, I got some uh, MVS cartridges that I thought that I had lost um, reappeared. So uh, I've got some more Neo Geo stuff, some Metal Slug games, Fatal Fury One, stuff like that. So it's good to to get that stuff uh, back. And um, yeah, how, yeah. How much? Uh, so you you just finished reviewing Grand Theft Auto. I'm I'm curious. I don't know how, if you guys talked about this on in the podcast, and let me know if, if you did. But like, what was your condensed period for having to finish that game? Because I know that's always the stress with some of these. Like, you know, when you get the disc, you know it's going to be forty plus hours at the minimum. Uh, it, it was actually it was it was a little over a week with it, so it was it was probably the one of the longest times that they have. Uh, given out uh review discs for gta 4 i think they had people come to them um and and review it there which sounds like a really terrible way to play that game um so yeah uh it, it was it wasn't really an issue like i, I actually kind of just dawdled with it a little bit where it's like okay like I, I played a ton of it uh as soon as we first got it um and then kind of just had some other stuff happening so I, I stopped playing it for a few days and it was like you know the, the the weekend before the review ran, or, or the, the you know the, the Friday before the review ran, I think is when I finally finished the story and was like, okay, I'm I'm done playing this thing. I can get this review out and, and and get it done. But yeah, it was um 
it was kind of a, an interesting show of confidence on their part because like the the GTA review process like over the years like since GTA three has always been a little off uh, compared what to was, what was three like? Uh, well, three was uh, I actually didn't review. Well, maybe I did. I don't. I don't know that I reviewed three. But you did. You did review I, three. I thought Greg reviewed three, but uh, anyway, uh, three was interesting because they, you know, they had this unproven concept at that time, so they were bringing it around a lot. Uh, Rockstar wasn't Rockstar yet, though they had that kind of attitude already. Um, uh, you know, like the, the company's well named, uh, and and. <laughs> Uh, you know, they, they brought it around, you know, a couple of the, the guys, Geronimo, who's still there, um, you know, bringing it around and just kind of showing it off to people. It was one of those games, I, I know I've, I've said this before about preview stuff, but it was really hard to tell with that game if it was actually going to be any good or not, because it was so many different weird pieces, and, you know, like hearing them talk about it, they, you know, it just sounded like this big, ridiculous thing. And you're like, that's this doesn't seem like something that can work in a video game. Like, you guys are, are ambitious, but that's it's going to be broken. Uh, and they, uh, you know, they, they pretty much pulled it off. So once GTA three hit, like, you know, Rockstar became the biggest thing in the world, actually, instead of just conceptually. Um, so by the time like Vice City rolled around, there was a lot of stuff where it was like, okay, they're, they're, they're being a little weird about access to the game prior to release. They're being very particular about how it's shown. Um, and then when review time would come around for that game and for San Andreas, like, I remember, like, picking up copies of it from people. Like, I'm pretty sure I picked up San Andreas from a woman on the street. Uh, <laughs> that sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah. It, it, was, it was one of the... One, it was either that or Vice City, um, where, like, they had a, they had some people who worked in, in on the West Coast. They had an office out here in San Francisco for a little while. Um, so a woman who was in their sales department, like, they got the discs to her. Like, someone flew them in. They don't ship stuff. They don't really... They really don't like to ship stuff. Um, so they, they got the discs to her and then she had to distribute them to the media in the area. So it was like, you know, getting her on the phone and be like, okay, you know, and she was basically literally like, meet me at this corner at this time. And I drove through this part of San Francisco, went to, you know, something that was near this woman's house, I imagine. And she handed me off a disc and I put it in the car and drove away. It was just like the weirdest... <laughs> The you handed thing. her a wad of cash, exactly. and that was, you know, that deal was done. Yeah, exactly. And then there was a double cross, and I shot my way out of it, and it was it was fine. But, uh, yeah, GTA, uh, it, so, you know, GTA 4, like, we uh, we were not speaking with Rockstar when that game came out, so... Uh, I, think, I feel like every publication <laughs> has gone through a moment like that for one There's a blacklisting process with them. I, yeah, it's definitely, like, it's sort of a rite of passage they're for hot, publication. They're hot and cold, you know? They're, 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 yeah. they're, they're, they've always been a little weird to deal with, and, and it's it's never been a huge... It's never really been a huge deal, but, you know, we, we were just getting the side off the ground around that time, so, you know, and, and it, was, it was sort of a... A weird situation all around, but uh, yeah, for this it was it was interesting for GTA Five because it was earlier than they typically give out games. It was you know like full retail version of the game, and also but but also it still had that kind of classic feel of like I went and met them in the lobby of a hotel, and there was a you know it was that it was passed across the table. Here you go, here's some paperwork, <laughs> um, and and then uh, you know like I didn't bring a bag. So I'm just like, now I'm just like, okay, <laughs> walk out onto the street with, you know, this copy of this game. <laughs> just drop a pin on Google Maps, like, come meet me. Yeah, Who wants exactly. To touch it? I've just got Five bucks to touch this box. I'm just going to loosely hold it in my hand and walk up the street and see what happens. Um, yeah, so it's, uh, yeah, it, it's it's interesting kind of seeing how that process has evolved and not evolved. But, uh, but yeah, they, uh, they, they got it out plenty early. Um so, you know, I, I didn't feel like I was rushing through the game. I feel like with that game, I saw everything that I wanted to see uh, with it. There's definitely, like, a lot more in there. Some stuff that, I, you know, I wasn't even really aware of, but just stuff that, like, I just wasn't really interested in. There's stuff like, you know, oh, you can hang out with strippers and date strippers, and there's all this, and, and like, I never saw any of that stuff because, like, I just wasn't how I was playing the game. I just wasn't interested in, in seeing that, that stuff. So, uh, but there's interesting... There's an interesting bit there because there are parts of the game where you kind of reflect on on some of the player choices that you've been making. So that ended up kind of that, that ended up being referenced. I, th I think there's some things that would have come out differently had I been 
out there fooling around with with a bunch of different ladies and stuff like that. So I, I thought that was kind of, ended up being kind of cool. I thought that was always interesting right after that time when, when Rockstar was sort of establishing themselves and figuring out how they wanted to present their games back when, you know, the F3. They were doing essentially the standard process of how a game gets shown around and they try and build buzz. And then from there forward, you'd basically hear nothing about any of the new entries until it showed up on the cover of Game Informer. And that Game Informer cover <clears throat> would drop uh, during the week of E3, I think. Like, And they would hand out the copies, I think, at E3, and that's where everyone would kind of see the details on GTA for the first time and you wouldn't have a meeting to go see the game at E3 because they'd be showing their other stuff like the Warriors and State of Emergency back when they were first starting to pivot to hey we've got to make things other than Grand Theft Auto in the years that we're not going to have a Grand Theft Auto out right and the thing you sorry it was the thing you would always hear was that (laughs) if it was a GTA year they would have it there but they wouldn't be showing it to press they would have like a room somewhere that they would be letting like their business people come in and check it out but like they just never had the impetus or the interest in showing that game on the floor after three really yeah I don't think I've seen a GTA game on the floor or anywhere at E3 since GTA 3 when they just straight up had kiosks uh with with it right next to state of emergency um yeah they, they for there was a while there that they did still have a booth on the floor or, or, I mean, there was one year that they just had a bus. There was a, a big Warriors bus or something, and they had, oh, it, was yeah. like, it was, like, fenced off uh, on the floor. I remember going in there and, and getting a demo of, I'm pretty sure it was the Warriors. Um, but, yeah, they don't really show D 3 because they don't really have to. It's kind of a, an enviable position for, for them to be in with that stuff where they can just kind of, uh, you know, rise above kind of the typical process for for that sort of coverage and you know it's it's one of those things i think more companies are trying to do now uh i mean you know like we haven't really seen a lot of battlefield for example but you know there are plenty of other uh people out there uh in different lines slightly different lines of work that have um so you know different companies are kind of trying different tactics when it comes to how best to show off their game prior to release and and prior to that review cycle and some of it's working better than others I think you have some companies that think their games are much bigger deals than they actually are. Going like, well, we don't need we don't need to show this off to anyone. We'll just go right to the fans. Like, good uh, luck with that. Okay, that's that's fine. Like, we're you know, I'm not, I don't really care about video game previews, so <laughs> go for it. I mean, but it's 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 fascinating to watch those strategies. Like, I think you know what you're referencing in particular is EA and Battlefield Four. They're holding a lot of small events for. For YouTube guys, uh, and yeah. and having them come out, and the, this is this is separate uh, from sort of a lot of the known names like you know Total Biscuit, like Total Biscuit, and, and guys that are sort of on that level are essentially what we're doing, but they're doing it on YouTube. These are our uh, lower level guys that are invited out uh, and then get to do a bunch of raw capture, uh, and there are certain you know restrictions that go along with that. Just like you know when we would do preview coverage, you know you've got to have these restrictions. Like I know I was watching one of the videos. And the guy had to like continually state that it is pre-alpha footage, like so that because otherwise people were getting really confused on YouTube about this, you know, being you know from the from the final build of the game. So I thought it was interesting to see that sort of struggle of PR trying to make sure they, you know, this the game's not done, uh, but it's out there, sort of in the wild uh, with the with these YouTube guys, which were they're still trying to figure out exactly what I think the U- utilitarian nature of that crowd is and how much of that actually translates into sales because i think it's one thing to see a bunch of big numbers you know if you see four hundred thousand views on, on a battlefield video from some some random guy that sounds impressive but you know i think that's maybe the you know the equivalent of you know trying to make money on a podcast like does that exactly turn into you know dollars for this right. company or is yeah. it just that people are excited to watch the game uh, on youtube and are they reaching out to people that would already you know are they only hitting people that would already know that there's a battlefield game coming out that they want to buy uh you know or, or are they reaching a wider audience i don't know it's one of those things that i, I think that you know the, the that whole process for how video game previews and stuff is run is so has, has been so broken and and different outlets are finding different ways to you know adapt and, and adjust those policies so uh i think that's been good on on our end and and you know it, it, as as people outlets like ours get smaller as the you know that the, the nature of that stuff changes it's only natural for companies to try to find other outlets to you know or other ways to kind of showcase their games prior to release so i you know i don't really blame them for going out there and trying this different stuff i just don't think it's going to work particularly well um and and some of that stuff just it, it seems a little strange like i know 
when well, what was it? Which game? Um, Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning was coming right. out. Uh, they ended up like I think EA ended up sending out copies to pro- popular live streamers and stuff like that. Even if they didn't uh, cover games like that, there was this this element of like, well, if we if we you know like have a community effort, this grassroots thing where we're sending these games out to people and saying like, hey, you should stream it, you should stream it. Um, you know, will will they build some sort of groundswell of support for this product? So it's been interesting. I, you know, I think the marketing and public relations for, for video games and, and you know, the, the, the way that we cover them, like all that stuff is changing so rapidly right now. It's uh, it's it's weird to see all the different tactics coming out and, and, and how that stuff manifests. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's, you know, similar to when Matt was talking about trying to manage the successful Kickstarter. It's that because everything's become so fragmented, there aren't a whole lot of hard lessons from game to game. And I think everyone's just kind of throwing things at the wall to see what sticks because, you know, as the traditional press sort of begins to shy away from doing this pre-access coverage, you know, and especially having things kind of really, you know, like shit really hit the fan with like a game like Aliens Colonial Marines, a game that got an incredible amount of pre-release buzz and then everyone feeling like, well, what the hell, you know, are we doing if, if, if that's the, the kind of thing that we're passing on to our readers? You know, fortunately, you know, we've been able to avoid that just because by and large, you know, we just don't even do that stuff unless it appears like on a on a podcast or something like that. But uh, it just or on a morning show. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it just, yeah. It just, it just it just feels like there are, there are less avenues for that in the traditional means. So it's more just you know, Alex and I constantly bitch about uh, on this show and just in private. Uh, you know, we handle most of the trailers on the site. Yeah. And at some point, it's just like I'm not gonna put up another 14 minute Assassin's Creed 4 video. It looks cool whatever but like we put up two last week and i don't know who this is servicing anymore if if even i'm getting tired of watching them yeah it's uh the the trailer stuff is really getting weird i'd be interested to know if if they have actual hard data about you know okay because the the ubisoft process really does seem to be like this mad dash at the end where there's just like trailer 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 um and uh, you know i assume they wouldn't be doing that if it didn't work in some in some way but like the you know the the trailer stuff as it relates to youtube and as it relates to like who controls that content and stuff is also super weird i know uh you know there are definitely uh outlets out there that have you know brought in a ton of views on youtube by just getting a trailer up an hour earlier than everybody else and you know there was some there's been some amount of negotiating for like oh we want to have the exclusive on this trailer and stuff and uh you know and and that's that stuff's been going on for years, even before kind of the, the YouTube views race began. But, uh, I don't know, like that stuff just seems super crass to me. Like I understand from a business perspective why you would want to do that. But at some point it's this case of everyone fighting each other to get the honor to run a commercial first. And well, and and it's, and it's, and it's no different than the rat race that, you know, like all of us are pretty tired of, of like, it's, it's just the exclusivity and rat race all over again just manifested in what's making money right now or at least what what's impressive uh to advertisers or you know is flashy to say you have x amount of subscribers or 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 views on a channel yeah it's the same exact thing just in a new form and it's no less (laughs) boring and and trite uh to try and compete with um not to mention you know being you know sort of a smaller scale site as we are like we have different aims where it doesn't even make sense for us to be trying yeah and it's, it's, you know, this stuff has always existed in one form or another. I mean, when, you know, when, when GameSpot first launched, and it was primarily a PC site. And for, you know, the first five or six years of that, like prior to Steam, you couldn't find patches for games in the game itself. It wasn't like games automatically kept themselves up to date, you know. So there, then there became this, or, or demos and stuff like that, too. So it there was a division that was just like we want to get the exclusive at you know on this demo we want to be the only place you can go to get this demo of a game for the first week of release or something like that and you know it and 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 we want to host all these patches even though like you're the company that made the game hey you're the one that made the broken game like you should host (laughs) the patches and pay the bandwidth but because there were so many ads being sold around it and you know it was a way to build traffic like it ended up being like really good business in in a lot of ways to go out there and get all that stuff and host all that stuff and be like the one-stop shop for files. Um, So this is in a lot of ways, just that, you know, that mentality continued forward and it's, it's fine. It kind of is what it is. I'm I'm glad that we don't really have to pay too much attention to it. It's just, it's, uh, 
it's weird to see it kind of like that stuff continue as, as directly as it has. I mean, at one point, like GameSpot, like there was a client that was launched that was like, you know, okay, this client's going to keep all your games up to date. And it was like all this bandwidth stuff. It was like a subscription service or something at some point, I think, where it was like, you know, we're going to serve you up videos and serve you up patches and serve you up demos and, and all this other stuff. And now, you know, like Valve just does that and, and it's done. Uh, or, you know, MMOs just patch themselves and you don't have to, to worry about a lot of that stuff anymore. And, and yeah, I don't know. It's, it's crazy to think back, like, how much time uh, people have spent over the years, like, negotiating for stuff that, like, honestly, the companies probably should have been serving out themselves to begin with. Yeah, and I, I remember the early days of, like, when Steam was getting off the ground. And I, I at some point, I wasn't sure it was going to happen during the show or not, but there will be some big announcement from Valve uh, today. Oh, that's right. Yeah, um, the, the first one's supposed to drop, but I, I remember when Steam started up updating Counter Strike that there was a huge division over people disliking the idea of their games auto updating because with Counter Strike in particular, people became very attached to certain versions of the game right. due to balances, and so you would have people like like for, essentially forking the game and preferring a certain version of the game. And, and being upset that Valve was forcing you to continually update the game because they liked the way, you know, I'm not a Counter-Strike player, but I just really remember seeing all of these debates play out as, like, sort of Steam took its first steps into becoming a, a service that people didn't fucking hate, which was absolutely the case and is easy to forget right. <laughs> about the yeah. early days of Steam when Half-Life 2 didn't unlock for anybody uh, and, and was a huge nightmare to, to deal with when that, when that first rolled out. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, it, it, there was a lot of stuff. Yeah, like you know, we, we need to keep running one point six beta because the you know the one point six. That's yeah, right. The, the the you know the, this weapon balance is is more to my liking or, or whatever. Yeah, like that mentality just doesn't exist anymore. I mean, you know, it's especially you know companies have control of the servers and all that other stuff. So you know, it's almost like you can't really connect to uh, some games at all unless you're running the latest version. I mean, that's certainly how it is on consoles these days. And, and most PC games seem to be in that direction too. So it's, uh, yeah, I, I think that's a, a convenience thing more than anything else. Like I, I would rather just never have to think about that stuff uh, instead of, you know, having to worry about like, oh, you know, I need to run this very specific version for, for all this stuff. And, and that's just, maybe it's just, I don't care enough about any one game anymore to really be like, oh, this the balance and this one's right. But, you know, that's... Uh, yeah, I, I'd much prefer the convenience. Um, so, I mean, I guess that's a good transition to talk about at least a, a couple of headlines. There wasn't much that happened this weekend, but we did miss the, the Valve one on, on Friday's show uh, where they're going to have three announcements this week. Uh, the first one is supposed to come, according to the chat, at uh, 1 p.m. EST. So we're, we're An hour a little 45, ways off from yeah. that. Um, but it, by all accounts, uh, this the it should be three announcements that are related in some way to their hardware platform, uh, or at least what their plans are for for hardware. So, uh, Alex, what do you what do you, what do you make of all this nonsense? Like, you do you want to put down some bold predictions a couple hours ahead of time? Oh, geez, yeah, I don't. Here's my one bold prediction: they're not going to announce Half Life Three. Okay, that's uh, fair. Yeah, number two. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's gonna be. I, I, my guess is that it's something pertaining to their 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 hardware thing that they're working on the steam box if that's that's what they end up calling it or not uh i'll be admit i'll be the first one to admit i have not been super duper following that whole thing super closely just because the idea of a you know a steam running you know mini pc that's probably running on linux is not really the kind of thing that i would super go for uh but you know that said i am super interested in the idea of valve getting involved in the hardware market somehow and you know with all the the random talk that's been going on with that thing forever at this point this feels like well if they're hyping up announcements at this point and you know with the way they've been talking about stuff kind of seems like the direction they're probably going i don't know what they're splitting out into three announcements though that's the thing that's kind of baffling me a little bit uh so i have no idea what how they're they're planning on parsing that stuff out I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. <clears throat> so one of the lines in the teaser site says, you know, they're going to involve the community in this process. So I wouldn't be shocked if the day, like today's announcement is sort of just laying out the grand vision and right. sort of like the, the groundwork of what's going to happen through the rest of this year and into, into next year. And then the rest of the week is more some specificity on how exactly the community is going to become involved. Like I wouldn't be surprised if, 
Um, you know, we've, we've saw with, with the Ouya, that controller is garbage. Like, it is oh, terrible. Yeah. It is not Oof. at all usable. Yeah. And, and that, you know, as much as I like Valve, you know, if we learn anything from Ouya, uh, launching a hardware platform, uh, making a controller uh, is not an easy task, even for someone as talented as Valve. And so I wouldn't be surprised if they have uh, some sort of way of involving the community that's not only to vote on designs for the controller, but to start sending out hardware prototypes to sort of like selected members of the community to solicit feedback uh, so that maybe their first swipe um, at it isn't, isn't a complete embarrassment. Yeah, I think that that makes some amount of sense. I mean, you know, also, if they really want something that's going to reach across every game or every style of game that people play on a PC, you know, then then whatever they do from a controller perspective is going to have to take keyboard and mouse into account. You know, big picture up until this point has been very much about, you know, does this game have full controller support or not? Like, or do you need to fiddle around and find a keyboard to deal with the, the settings and, and all that sort of stuff? So there's room for them on whatever sort of controller stuff they do to figure out, you know, the, the, of the real promise of like the phantom lap board or something and you know <laughs> come up with some sort of interface thing that replaces a mouse and keyboard and 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 that would be really ambitious i don't i don't necessarily expect them to to get into that this deep but, but i don't know I, I look at what they're you know the the way they're kind of talking about this stuff and uh you know the way they're very interested in linux and kind of the state of game development on linux right now like, I don't think it makes sense for them to, like, they can't go big with a hardware platform if all it does is play games and is Linux-based because, you know, there are only, like, 200 games or something on Steam right now that uh, that run under Linux. So I, I think that what they what they would be more likely to do, and, and you, if you look at it and say, like, they're, they're talking about even more ways to connect the dots for customers that want Steam in the living room, like, I think that whatever they launch will have streaming capabilities like an NVIDIA mm. Shield or, or something like that. I, I think it makes sense for them to, you know, harness the power of the existing PC you have and just beam it around your house to, to different screens. Um, I, I think that makes a lot more sense. It lets them put out something that's way more cost effective. Um, and, and it also gives them some uh, leeway in terms of different configurations. I mean, you know, they they could have something that is streaming only. They could also have a, a mid-tier box that does all the streaming stuff, but is also kind of a, a low-end Linux box that can run kind of the, the like some thin games that uh, that won't require you to spend a whole lot of money to have a machine like that. And then, you know, they could eventually also have a high-end machine that is like, okay, this, you know, it'll still stream stuff from the PC because look, Windows is still Windows. Um, you know, but at the same time, like this is going to be a, a higher end Linux box that'll play all 200 of those Linux games. And, and, you know, for the foreseeable future, whatever ends up getting ported um, to to Linux. And, and, you know, once they once they make this move and, and get out there, I think that'll give developers a little more incentive to, you know, port their games to Linux, port their games to whatever controller solution they've, they've got out there and and, and give this a go. Um but, you know, people that are out there, you know, there are a lot of people who's like, oh, man, there's the consoles are done. Valve's getting in. It's it's like that's such a ridiculous uh, that that's not that's not going to be the case. You This, this is going to be like a big step for Valve, but it's not going to be some huge consumer launch. You would know about it already if it was going to be, you know, um, it, it would it would be hard to keep quiet because they would need to like spin up the exact same pre-order machine that Microsoft and Sony have to, to try and, and reach some kind of mass market with that stuff. So, so whatever they're doing, it, it's, it's stuff that's, you know, going to try to make it easier for, for people to get their steam games in more places around their home. Yeah. I think this is part of a long-term yeah. ploy for, for valve. This is the, the streaming solution is a short-term uh, fix for the long-term problem, which is that Gabe Newell hates Windows, right? And he is he is very public about that. He, you know, when he's going to when someone like Gabe Newell is going to like Linux conferences and talking about sort of like the death of Windows and what's going to happen in, in the next like, you know, he's not talking about 2014 or 2015 or 2016. Like putting starting to develop Valve's games for Linux and developing a platform that is outside the Windows ecosystem is recognizing that. 
in sort of what started in the post-PC era, as it's kind of called with like smartphones and tablets, is that there will be an opportunity in the next 10 to 20 years to move away from Windows, to move to different software solutions. And this is essentially them putting a stake in the ground and saying, this is where we think this is going, but you, you can't drag it. If they drag, try to drag everyone there, it would just, you know, the only thing they could do is get people to run their own games. But if they put in a solution for, for other partners to, to have, kind of stream their games, give incentives to port it to Linux, and then, you know, when they do get around to announcing their next major game, whether it's Left 4 Dead 3 or Half-Life 3 or whatever, you will know that it will be available day one on Linux. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's the best version. Not in terms of, you know, feature set necessarily, but my guess is the performance is going to be such that they're going to want to start bragging about reasons that you're on, that you want to run it uh, through Linux, and then and at that point it starts to become a question of, you know, are you only getting those performance gains if like you're getting a second machine that's only running Linux? Can you even run Linux in like like a virtual machine? Is that totally? Possible? Yeah, I mean you can dual boot a PC with Linux, and you know if you if you've got the right hardware, you could dual boot it with you know like a Mac OS or something like that too. It's a, you know like all that stuff is super flexible. That's the whole the whole point of Linux is that it's open and everywhere and all that sort of stuff. So like there are benefits from like a resource perspective if uh, you know if you've got a very kind of light linux os that doesn't take up a whole lot of memory but we're not in the era of like having to scrimp and save resources on on a pc to make sure you've got maximum access and coding to the metal and all that sort of stuff like windows is not the huge bottleneck for game development that uh that some os's can be so it, it's uh you know, and, and Microsoft has, has provided a whole lot of libraries to try and, and make that the case. But, uh, you know, whatever. Most developers are used to using Linux and, and those sorts of solutions as part of development anyway. So it's it's the sort of thing that if they're incentivized properly by there being, uh, you know, enough of an install base out there and some sort of, you know, relatively secure-ish solution for, for that sort of stuff, they'll do the work. They're doing most of the work anyway, like getting up and running on Linux once you're, you know, doing a Windows version, once you're doing a PS4 version, you know, like that's not a huge, uh, a huge resource sink. So or that, that's my impression anyway. So it's the sort of thing that as, as soon as they get a good reason to do it, I think developers will be happy to uh, put out their game on that platform and, and, and see it as it grows, as, especially, you know, if Valve is very serious about this. Yeah, like, like you said, this is their stake in the ground. This is their they're kind of like first step in in kind of a long and probably grueling campaign but yeah as we enter this post pc era and you end up with people wondering like you know do i really need a, a full desktop anymore can i just get by with a netbook or a tablet or something like that for my like non-gaming computing needs that creates a hole that someone like valve could very easily fill with a gaming focused machine that appeals to the pc audience um and, and that sense of kind of openness and stuff that you just don't get out of consoles so uh, it's an interesting risk for them to take. I think it's, it's something that, that could pay off depending on, on kind of how Microsoft shakes out. I mean, they're, they just seem like a mess. Like I'm running Windows 8.1 here and it's, it's fine, but eh. I don't know what you're talking about. They're, they're doing great. They're having a surface event here in New York right now. Everyone who's there sounds real excited to be there. It's going to be fantastic. Everything with Windows, Aces watching, all the way. Watching the, there's pre-roll ads, uh, I think, I don't know if we're running them. I know I saw one on GameSpot over the weekend that is like this, uh, you know, it's it's the Microsoft Surface, like, Apple attack ad. Oh, it's horrible. Mm. The one where they have Siri, yeah. like, sort of, like, or Siri-like, and it's like she's getting upset that there's not a keyboard. I've seen it everywhere. Yeah. She doesn't have a, a USB commercial. port. And it's, you yeah. know, like, yeah, those, those are, like, valid differences, but, the, like, you have to be looking for something so dramatically different out of a device for any of that stuff to matter. Like, you know, like, I, yeah, I think it'd be cool to have a, a really good portable device that has USB ports and a keyboard. So I bought a MacBook Air. Like, it's not, <laughs> you know, like, it's, it's, you know, at some point, it's like, I'm just going to get a real computer instead of, like, this weird tablet hybrid thing. I don't need this half step between an iPad and, and a, a netbook or something like that. So, uh, yeah, they're all over the place with that stuff. And it's, it's, yeah. Microsoft's just in a weird spot with all the, the leadership transition and that sort of stuff. Like they've been in a weird spot for a while. So this gives Valve a real opportunity if they're in the right place at the right time with the, the right piece of hardware. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it could be a seismic shift in 
you know, what we think of as PC gaming, but like that seismic shift, I don't think is going to happen in the next two hours. You know, it'll happen in the next, you know, two to 10 years. Nah, 10, yeah. 10 years is crazy. Whatever. We'll live in space in 10 years. Like, you know, it'll be, <laughs> you know, the next two to five over the course of this console generation, you know, will the, will the PC still matter? Will windows still matter for gaming in the same way that it does today? Like, you know, not if valve has anything to say about it, I guess. Right. Uh, well, at this point, I uh, will we'll, uh, call out to the chat because the YouTube stream is a little behind in terms of uh, what people are watching. If people want to uh, throw out some uh, some questions at me in the chat, I'll grab a couple of those before uh, we wrap up as we uh, near the end here. But uh, yeah, I think like there is going the idea of like what we consider a PC, like in quotes. Like I think that term is going to get real muddy in in the next five years, and I think that's what you know these streaming solutions and what Valve is going going to try and do if they create a box is I think what people consider a PC is problematic for what they want to do in the future. Because if people consider it in that mindset of like, I got to buy a PC or I got to buy a desktop, like you've already zoned a lot of people out that have maybe transitioned to getting most of what they want out of different devices. And the idea of spending, they're going to think that, well, I got to spend $1,000 to buy a PC to play these games when that's not necessarily true. And I think this is going to be more about defeating that mindset in a way totally and, and making that stuff easier while also still allowing the people that want to go all the way down the rabbit hole to perform the upgrades that you know the pc users want to upgrade i mean the 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 cool part about pc gaming for me is that aspect of like you know i just i can just go buy a better video card you know i can if i need more ram i can just go get it it's not this you know it's not this set planned obsolescence device that is just going to get thrown in the other room eventually you know it's it's a proper uh living platform that i can upgrade as needed you know, you know there'll be those generational shifts with you know architectures and stuff like that I was like okay now i need to get a whole new motherboard and now ram is faster and that sort of stuff but i think that's the stuff that you know valve is as has proven itself to be a pretty smart company so i think you know if they do lean into this stuff they would certainly keep those sorts of things in mind like the the upgrade mentality and, and how that stuff sort of works uh, rather than just provide this relatively closed and limited platform. I, I think that, that that benefits no one. And that doesn't really replace the PC in the, in the way that it, that is acceptable to people that are currently playing PC games. So it's kind of a minefield. Like they, they can't just go make a console and say, hey, in another five years, just throw it away and buy another one. Uh, because if people wanted that, they would just be buying consoles. Right. Fair point. Uh, before we get to the user questions, Jeff, I just had one thing I wanted to kind of float your way. You, a man, a veteran of uh, many Tokyo game shows over the years, I'm curious to see uh, what you might have thought of uh, what what little news and, and what little information did come out of this year's TGS. Did anything strike you at all, or did this seem like a pretty boilerplate show, just kind of in anticipation of the, uh, of the new consoles? Yeah, it, it, it really it just struck me as kind of sad. You know, it's, I feel like this was this could have been the year for TGS to really get back on the map um, in, in a lot of ways because there would be these new consoles and it, it's sort of the last stop for console information before this stuff starts to ship. But everyone announced everything ahead of time, you know? Um, so there, there weren't really any big announcements left for the show. And, you know, Sony's not even launching there until next year. And I guess neither is Microsoft, right? Like they're... I mean, we don't even know when Microsoft's planning on launching in Japan at this point. Yeah, so. yeah. So it's uh, you know, Tokyo is uh, you know, Japan is is not the lead market it used to be for either of these platforms, um, and you know, I think that makes a lot of business sense. But at the same time, I, I think it's just indicative of, of what you know we've been seeing, what we've been kind of commenting on for years as it relates to uh, Japan and, and the Japanese game market. Like it's it's a it's a very dramatic shift away from that territory kind of calling a lot of the shots and you see a lot of that with uh you know kind of sony's presentation you know worldwide who they're putting on stage and, and who's kind of calling the shots on that platform um yeah you know it, and and i think that there are still going to be some great like the most exciting thing for me out of tgs i think was that la mulana 2 is coming mm. you know and and that's uh that's awesome um but yeah in, in terms of just like you know big announcements or big things that were only at tgs like no, it's 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 not. Uh, if, if there was going to be a year for for that to happen, it would have been this year. But it sounds like attendance was great, uh, so it seems like there's definitely like some public appetite and and you know uh, to uh, four games there, which is which is you know great. Um, and and hopefully we'll kind of see 
like that whole territory kind of find its footing and and, and all this sort of stuff. I, I think it's you know there's there's definitely like a, a that burgeoning kind of indie scene, that that indie movement that we keep hearing about throughout Europe and throughout the U.S. Like it's definitely happening in Japan too. So um, I think that that that's uh, that's maybe the most exciting sort of thing to come out of that is you know like hey Bit Summit Two is coming. You know there'll, there'll probably be some cool stuff out of that. And uh, yeah, TGS. I'm on one hand, I'm glad I didn't go uh, because I would have gone in expecting there to be like real big actual information there. But on the other right. other hand, it would have been so light that that would have left plenty of time for uh, shopping. So uh, <laughs> think of all the money you could have spent, Jeff. Think of all the dumb things you could have had to smuggle back in a suitcase. Yeah, exactly. There's there's a ton of stuff. Peter Brown from Gamespot went over there. He offered to mule stuff back for me, but I couldn't. I couldn't think of any specific stuff that I wanted. Like I just wanted, to, I should have actually just probably given him like 500 bucks and said, just go buy turbo graphics games and just go bring back a bunch of PC engine stuff. I don't care what it is. Just, just get it. But, uh, but that's, that's only fun if you're out there doing it yourself. So that's, I don't, you know, yeah. I don't want to buy a score. I, w- I wonder, you know, one of the, some of the comments Sony made about why the, the launch is happening. I think it makes a lot of logistical and marketing sense why they're launching later in Japan, given that the real battleground is outside of there. But that aside, like one of the comments that I think uh, Shuya Yoshida and some others were making was that uh, Japan is still in some ways a little lagging behind in terms of adoption and getting their games ready uh, for, for next generation and that there just not being enough games uh, to properly launch in Japan uh, this this fall if they wanted to and you know maybe that stuff will shake out but you know I, that also scares me a little bit that you know part of the reason that Japan fell behind this generation was you know there was a lot of structural shifts and technology shifts that they, they weren't necessarily prepared for but it would make me a little nervous if you know that stuff is still being worked out uh, as we are heading to another uh, hardware uh, transition uh, because you know they don't that, that, that industry can't afford to spend another six years trying to find its footing. Exactly. You know, I mean, look at, you know, I, I think, like, look at when Catherine came out and, you know, everyone looked at that and thought, well, this is the kind of small game that they're doing to, you know, for Atlas and that team to get their feet wet with this hardware so that they can roll into full production on Persona 5 and make it happen. And here we are. They haven't even necessarily actually announced that as a real product other than to say, like, yeah, we're working on it. Like, what... What do they do? I mean, whatever. They're they're in a weird position because they're getting sold and, and all that sort of stuff. But I feel like a lot of Japan is in, in sort of a weird position. Just you know, the they went through some very hard times uh, economically speaking. I'm, I haven't checked in recently to see if that's doing better or worse. I mean, you know, there are they have a, a radiation problem. You know, like the, there's been disasters, like huge the earthquake. Like there's been tons of stuff that has gotten in the way of that you know that nation's ability to produce uh not just games but you know electronics and all this other stuff so the, uh, the yen's been a problem for them too yeah, i know nintendo yeah. constantly cites that as one of the reasons that you know they're having all sorts of problems outside of that uh but the the the, the way the the yen works out uh it, it, it definitely hurts even when they are doing reasonably well uh to post the kind of profits that that they would like to yeah so i, I think there are a ton of different factors that impact uh you know the the Japanese industry uh, along those lines too, in terms of just like you know whether it's getting ready for the technology or just you know having the the, the cash flow to to make it all happen. So you know maybe the the good news or the thing that could come out of this is, is like I said we're, we are seeing you know kind of a more uh, more exposed uh, Japanese indie market uh, and and you know definitely some some efforts to bring some of that stuff uh, around the world um, and and so. You know that that could be kind of the silver lining in some of this stuff, but you know, uh, you know, will the Japanese market adapt to make games that are appealing around the world again? You know, is that even something they should be doing, or should they kind of focus on the home territory and the audience around the world that is already interested in that specific style of games? Like, I, I don't really know the answer, but it's uh, it continues to be a weird time uh, for for that market, you know, and, and that's uh, it's a bummer. Yeah. Uh... Uh, Iceland asks, I guess the country, the kind of Iceland. They ask, uh, isn't it shitty of Rockstar to promote their iFruit app with GTA Five and it's still not out on Android? I don't think that's that interesting as much as, t- is anyone using that dumb app? Is it, I haven't been is able to get it to work. Using? 
Uh, I've been having no pro- like no luck whatsoever getting the Rockstar Social Club stuff to work for me. Uh, even like on the rare instances when it does like connect my account, like I can't get anything to work. So I've not been able to make the app do anything thus far. And and I uh, yeah, I mean the when I was playing the game, the app wasn't available at all. So it would have all these pop ups in game about like go download and this, and you can train the dog. I'm like I can't and no. Um, yeah, but they, yeah, I don't know. I, when, when it finally came out, I did download it and finally got it to at least look like it linked up. But at that point I was like, you know what? I'm kind of done with Grand Theft Auto five. Like I'll play GTA online when it comes out and stuff, but I'm not going to go train the dog to find hidden stuff. Like that's, you know, that's, that's not really where my interests lie. You excited for that? You excited for the GTA online stuff? Uh, I mean, no. Uh, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm very interested to see kind of where they're going with it, but GTA 4's online mode was not at all uh, interesting to me from a, a gameplay perspective. There were some, some neat ideas there, but it wasn't something that I... Like, that's not why I come to Grand Theft Auto, you know, just for... You know, I, I come there for the characters, I come there for the story that they're telling and, and the way that they tell it. So, like, in a lot of ways, I got what I want to get out of that package, and, and whatever they throw on top, you know, good or bad more or less doesn't matter i think it's a it's a game worth playing already um but you know i i, I want to see what they've learned from red dead and what they've learned from gta 4 in terms of like making those sorts of multiplayer modes like it's still a 16 player cap but uh, as i understand it it does do that kind of free form you know like disconnect reconnect sort of stuff as you run through the world so uh you know it could be interesting i thought it was really weird and and fascinating that like half the achievements in that game are for GTA Online um, right. already, so uh, that 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 struck me as, as kind of strange. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm interested to see what it is because I think with their the way they built those heists, like that uh, could be mechanically interesting as a multiplayer, like as a, as a co-op thing. Um, so if they've got like an interesting co-op story or something like that, then then maybe that's cool. Fair enough. Uh... Jerka707 asked, do you think there will be any upgradey consoles in the future as a result of all these changes? Which I would say probably not, but wasn't there at some point it was being floated that, was it like the PS1 would have some sort of upgrade that you could buy for like the RAM or something? I'm trying to remember what the rumor was. Well, the N64 was. had that RAM box that you could put in. And the, uh, Saturn, and the Saturn had the thing. RAM cart as well. Yeah, and, and with the Xbox 360 even, there was talk for a while there, you know, kind of after Kinect launched and, and bought them some time. Uh, you know, there was some talk for a while. I, I didn't really track down and, and and hear too much about it, but it sounded like that they had at least thought about some sort of half step up, where you'd get an Xbox 360 or an add-on for your your existing 360 that would, you know, have more graphical capability and kind of you know boost frame rates and fill rates and all that sort of stuff uh, to to make that system last a little longer. Um, but that never came to pass, thankfully. Um, yeah, I don't know. That, that stuff, it splits the user base, and it, it makes headaches for developers when they have to like go like, okay, do we need to make the high-spec version of this game and the low-spec version of this game for the same platform and go through all this process? And, and you know, that's... no, I don't, I don't think developers want to deal with that stuff, and it's a, it's a weird... It's, it's hard to sell to consumers, so I, I just that doesn't seem like a great idea. I mean, it, it, make, it makes it tough because you either make it a requirement to play the game... And then build around that, or you do horrible solutions. Like I remember when Perfect Dark came out, you could play that without right. the the memory add-on, but it was the frame rate was frame rate was already not that great with the add-on, but without the add-on, the, the frame rate was garbage. And I think like it limited a bunch of things you could even do in the multiplayer. Like there were a bunch of really strange restrictions that came from not having uh, paid for that add-on. And at that point, it's like, well, why? I mean, I know why they released it so you could play it without it. Right. But, like, why? what was the point? Like, all it did was make your game look terrible and create bad word of mouth if you don't, if you didn't actually happen to purchase yeah, that add-on. It was like a demo or something at that point. Some 360 games ended up in this hole where, like, what was it? It was a Halo Reach. I want to say it was Halo Reach that you couldn't play the multiplayer if you didn't have a hard drive. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, GTA V requires a hard drive, and there's been a handful of other games since. But, you know, the decision they made back then, you know, at the launch of the 360 to offer a version of that console that didn't ship with a hard drive led to a, a lot of really annoying shit down the line that uh, that Sony never really had to deal with other than that they had to deal with it because the, the lead platform out there was forcing developers to deal with it too. So, uh, yeah, that, that stuff just always sort of sucks and it always results in, in 
you know, uh, developers having to account for the lowest common denominator, and as a result, they don't push as far enough ahead as they could. Um, so, yeah, it's the upgradable console stuff, other than like peripherals and you know, like a connect camera type stuff. Like, uh, that's that's just a boondoggle. All right. Well, I think that's gonna bring this to a close. Alex, what do you what do you got going on this week on the site? Are you reviewing anything? What are you up to? Yeah, I got uh, NBA 2K14, which the embargo's up this week, so as long as I can get online at some point, I will uh, I will have that up. Um, I got to write something for TV.com today, one of the last what? things I, I agreed to do for them. Uh, and then, other than that, just uh, you know, kind of working on some, some video stuff here and there, and then, you know, getting ready for the show on Friday. That's, that's pretty much my week. What about what about you, Jeff? Got any any plans yet? Um, soccer is out this week. This is I think this is the week for FIFA and Pro Evolution Soccer. So you know we, we have a, we're real big soccer fans out here. So you know we'll, we'll maybe giant bomb sports team. Yeah, we, we'll we'll try and get a hold of those and and figure out what's going on. Brad's out on vacation all week. Um, so you know we'll we'll figure out uh, what that what sort of hijinks that will that will lead to um but yeah i don't know like i you know i've been in the office yet i still have to take a shower so i, I don't know fair enough <laughs> all right well we'll lead you to that so they can go sit in traffic yeah. uh, for an hour but uh i did want to mention also real quick uh the second episode of the power bomb cast is up on the site as of friday just in case you missed it jeff gersman myself john carlo veronini jared ray and dan Riker talking wrestling once again i think it turned out pretty well if so if you like wrestling be sure to go check that out Cool. All right. Well, Jeff, thank you for joining us. And yeah. hopefully, hopefully you won't cancel the show. Uh, it'd be nice to see you. You know, we'll, hopefully you'll consider it. We'll see. I don't know. Seems like kind of a fucking train wreck, you guys. We'll, we'll figure it out. All right. All right, Alex. I will see you again on Friday. A woo. <laughs>